Genesis 14, starting in verse 17. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given to us. I thank you for this church and their love for you and their willingness to serve and, uh, and come today and to worship you. Father, I know that uh, it's easy to get distracted by a lot of different things in our world today. And even on a day like today where, you know, most of us have our phones shut off and turned off and, uh, and our kids are back in children's church and yet here we are sometimes easily distracted or maybe our mind will wander today and uh, we'll lose focus. But Father, I pray that you would help us to, to hear from you today and that this would be a time that we recognize that you are an unseen guest here and that this is a time where we can as a, a body of believers come together and hear a word from you support one another love one another pray for one another and worship you father i pray that you would give us the grace that that is needed today to do so in a way to bring you honor and glory Father, I recognize that I have a part in this, and so, Lord, if you would, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way to bring honor and glory to your name, in a way to bring sinners to repentance and believers into a time of renewal in their relationship with you. Lord, I, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. A day where they admit that they're a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. Lord, if that were to happen today, we'd give you all the honor, all the glory. If there's a believer that's here today that may be struggling or going through hardship, Father, I pray that this would be a time of, of renewal. I pray that this would be a time of reflection, a time of seeing your goodness and grace and mercy that's available to them today. Jesus, we love you. I pray all these things in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. A statement is a, a verbal or written proclamation. A statement is a, a verbal or written proclamation. Statements, though, can be made in other ways, correct? Uh, have you ever seen someone make a statement by the way that they are dressed? Maybe they have dressed to impress or maybe they should have dressed to impress. Uh, statements can be made through other actions as well. Uh, if you're constantly late to a meeting or you're always on time, you come prepared or maybe you just don't care. If you have a negative attitude or maybe you have a positive attitude, maybe you encourage one another. The Chiefs made a statement last week by beating the... <laughs> the uh, last, yesterday, I was at a wrestling meet Friday and Saturday. The boys were wrestling at district, their district championship meet. And uh, last year uh, at state, the Liberty North heavyweight won state as a sophomore. Just a, a sophomore won heavyweight, which is... Class four, district four, I mean, class four, state championship, a, a sophomore. And uh, this year at district, he was actually seated fourth as a state champion. That's pretty impressive for that district. And uh, he's a junior. And the guy that got third, he beat. 
And the guy that got second, he beat. And the guy that got fourth, he beat. And uh, he won the district as a four seed. And I, I told his dad, I said, his dad's a coach for Liberty North. And I said, you know, I watched your son wrestle last year, and he was impressive, but he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't as impressive as he is this year. This year, just, it's amazing how much better of a wrestler, wrestler he is this year than he was last year. And his dad said, you wouldn't, just, you wouldn't believe how much work he put in in the offseason to get to where he's at today. And yesterday he made a statement, you know, about how good he is. And um, there, are, there are statements that can be made at, at all kinds of different ways. And in today's passage of Scripture, I, I really do believe that Abraham is making a statement. And he's making not just one statement, but he's making multiple statements. Today's sermons will revolve around these statements. And I want you to, to hear from Abraham today about the type of man that he is and the type of God that he serves. The first statement that Abraham is making is that he is a man that should be feared. Abraham is making a statement that he is a man that should be feared. Verse 17. And after his return from the defeat of Shador Lemur and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. And chapter 14 Abraham's nephew Lot and his family and possessions were all captured at the hand of Shador Lamor. And Shador not only captures Lot, but he also defeats the five kings that were mentioned at the beginning of this chapter, including the king of Sodom, of Sodom, of Gomorrah. And it's not just Shador, but he's, there's other kings there that are, that are defeating the king of Sodom and the, kingdom of, uh, the king of Gomorrah, but there's other kings there, but Shador is leading the way. It's very clear that he's, he's leading the charge against them. And Abram, he hears that his nephew Lot has been, ten, has been taken captive. He's in danger. So he, what does he do? He takes the men in his household. This text says that there's 318 of them. And the Bible says that they are trained men. Trained for what? Trained for battle. So these aren't men just like with pitchforks and, and shovels here, but these are soldiers, right? I mean, these men are, are ready for, they're trained, ready for battle. And Abraham and his forces go at night and they run them off. It's pretty impressive. Five kings couldn't do what Abraham and his men could, what Abraham and his men could do. I mean, you just think about that for a second. Five kings and all of their forces, all of their men couldn't defeat these men. But here is one man and his men. They go strategically at night and they run these men off. What does that say about Abram and his power, his authority? To me, it says that what? He should be feared. Friends, uh, we know... The answer to this, but was Abram to be feared or was it God? You can go throughout all the Old Testament and we will see that when God is with you, when God is with you, you better watch out or they better watch out. 
when God is with you, they better watch out. But when God is not with you, then you better watch out, right? When you go and you act without God, you're doing so and you're putting yourself in danger. But when you are going with God, then your enemies better watch out. And that's the case with Abraham here. You ever do something without God behind you? Make a decision and you know that this isn't something that you should be doing, and yet it's something that you want to do. And so you, what do you do? You do it anyway. And there are times in our life where we're all guilty of, of making a decision, a poor decision, where we, we do so out of greed, we do so out of desire, we do, so, do something out of, out of lust, or just because you think it'd be funny, you think it'd be comical, you put your pastor on blast on the big screen, you know. Well, just think about that. There are, there are times in our life where we do something, not because, hey, this is what God wants us to do, but because we want to do it. Those times, I mean, those situations, those circumstances, they never work out. And we would think, you would think that maybe you would learn from those circumstances and situations, and yet rarely do we learn from them. And we think, well, this time it'll work. This time it will be better, and yet over and over, history teaches us that it, it doesn't work out. In chapter 16, we're going to see Abraham walk down a path that God wasn't behind. And we'll get there in a few weeks, but... If it's true of Abraham, if it's true of men and women throughout Scripture, friends, let me tell you, it is true of your life as well. You want God behind your actions, your decisions. Sometimes we have to pray and we have to ask the Lord for wisdom and discernment. And sometimes we have to walk by faith and we don't know exactly where it is that God is wanting us to go. But we still have to seek the Lord's guidance and direction. And sometimes God doesn't give us the exact path that we're supposed to walk down, and, but we, we know we, through the peace that he gives us, hey, this is, I think I'm making the right decision here. And sometimes it's not crystal clear, and we have to walk by faith. But there are times in our life where God makes it crystal clear what we're supposed to do. And, we, and when those moments happen, those situations arise in our life. We must be obedient. We must be faithful. Let's look at Abraham's second statement here. The second statement that, that was made was that God was the reason for the victory. Look at verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Melchizedek is an interesting character in the story. Um, he's often referred to as the, the king of peace, and out of the nine kings that were mentioned earlier in chapter 14, he wasn't one of the nine. So he just kind of comes out of nowhere. And he actually isn't mentioned anywhere throughout the Old Testament except for in Psalm 110. 
There, David speaks pretty highly of them. This is what the author of Hebrews chapter 7 says about this priest. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. And he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither a beginning nor an end, but resembling the Son of God. He continues as a priest forever. Pretty high praise from David and the author of Hebrews. He's the king of Salem. Do you, if you look at your Bible, next to the word Salem, there's probably a reference. If you go down to the bottom of your Bible, you will see that Salem is a city that's often, that is also, not often, but that is also known as what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So here he is, the first priest that we see and the only priest that we see throughout all of Genesis, the first mention of the city of Jerusalem is right here, this priest, the priest of Salem, the king of Salem. Salem is a Canaanite name. No mention of his ancestors, his mother or his father, but here he is, a priest of God Most High. Let me say this about Melchizedek. And there are some that worshiped him and believed that he was a god. Or even possibly, I mean, even like post-resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were the Christians that worshiped Melchizedek and they believed that he was like a Messiah-like figure. That's completely false, right? He was a priest. He, he lived, he died. But his, when it says that he, his days did not end, his it's, it's not necessarily uh, his life, but rather his, what? His story. His legacy. Okay? One of the things that he does is that he blesses Abraham. And if you remember the covenant of Abraham, what does it do? What does it say? That you will be, what? Blessed. And here Abraham is being blessed by a priest. Again, the only time that we see it throughout all of Genesis, a priest blessing anyone. And here Abraham is being blessed. He knows, though, Abraham knows and understands that all of this is from the providence of God. That this is only possible not by his works, but by God's providence, by God's grace. This is God at work in Abraham's life. This is possible by the grace of God. God doing something for Abraham that he cannot do for himself. By his own power, by his own skill, by his own merit, God has blessed Abraham. Abraham knows and understands, and he's making a statement here that God 
is the reason for the victory. And one of the ways that he does this is that he gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he had. He tithed. And what do we do when we tithe? We basically say, Lord, everything that I have belongs to you. And so I'm going to give you a first fruit of my, of my possessions, of my income, of everything that I have. And so here Abraham comes back from the slaughter of the kings, of this defeat. And he meets Melchizedek, priest of God Most High. And he gives him a tenth and signifies to everybody that's around, everything that I have belongs to God. And everything that I've done is a result of God's grace in my life. That's who Abraham was. He didn't just go out and live a life that promoted himself, his family. But when given the opportunity, he gets all the honor, all the glory, all the praise to God and God alone. I hope that's true of our own life, friends. That when we get the opportunity, we give, God, we give God the honor and the glory for what he's done in our own life. If you don't believe me that this was Abraham's character, look at the, I believe, the third statement that Abraham makes is that the most high God is Yahweh. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give to me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abram rich. I will not take nothing but what the young man has eaten and have and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anur, Eskul, and Mamir take their share. One of the statements that Abraham made here that I didn't mention and could have easily done so is that he didn't want to be associated with the king of Sodom. Uh, friends, sometimes people present things to you that opportunities and just because it may sound good, look good, doesn't mean that you should say yes. Sometimes as Christians, we need to learn the discipline of saying no. Sometimes we need to stand up for what we believe in, for our principles, for our morals, our values, our beliefs in God, and say, you know what? No, thank you. Not today. That's not who I am. That's not what I believe in. No, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. It didn't be, this deal did not benefit the kingdom of God. It didn't benefit Abram. It didn't benefit his family. Abram was about uplifting the glory of God, the name of God. Listen to what he says here. I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. I don't want anybody to think for a second that you're the reason I'm in this position. The only reason I'm here is because of God. 
Now let's just think about this for a second. I think something that needs to be noticed and needs to be mentioned here. Again, when Abraham is, is naming God as the reason. Melchizedek is calling God here um, El Elyon, okay? And it's different than what Abraham is calling God. Abraham is calling God Lord, Yahweh, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that they're talking about two different gods. There are some people that believe that, and I've read some commentaries this week that would say that there's no reason for anybody to believe that Melchizedek and Abraham worshiped the same God. I think that they did, okay? I truly do believe that they worship the same God. There's no reason to believe this because there are many different names for Yahweh. If you remember Job, he called God Elohim, okay? So just because there's a different name doesn't mean it's a different God. But Abraham is making sure that Melchizedek knows the name Yahweh. He's proclaiming that name to this priest. I, um, I think about this quite a bit. You know, this, here Abraham is. When given the opportunity, he makes sure that everybody knows the God that he's worshiping. He knows his name. He's teaching other people, and he's proclaiming it. Given the circumstance, Abraham wasn't looking for a fight, but he went out and he did what he needed to do. Uh, there are times in our life, friends, when God presents us with opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus, to proclaim the name of our great God and King and that's our responsibility, right? I mean, uh, it's the great commission is to go, therefore, into the nations and preach the gospel, make disciples. And it's our responsibility. Some of us, I, that's our spiritual gift is evangelism. I mean, we go to the store and we look for milk and a soul, right? I mean, we go and we are... Every opportunity we have, every conversation is an opportunity to share the gospel. Whether we're in the hospital, whether we're at work, talking to the neighbor, that's our, I mean, it's our heartbeat. It's what our gift is. And some of our gift, though, is our spiritual gift is not evangelism. Some of your spiritual gifts are administration or, or giving or helps or teaching, or proclamation. And it's not evangelism. And sharing the gospel with our neighbors, co-workers, the nurse at the hospital, or the cashier at the grocery store, it's not, our, it's not something that we feel comfortable doing. And yet here in our life, we are often given these opportunities. I mean, they're just, they're so easy, they're layups. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that, hey, this is an opportunity that the Lord has told me to go and share the gospel with this person. You ever have one of those moments where you know this is an opportunity from the Lord and I need to take it. I need to seize this chance 
to proclaim the name of God. You ever get those? You ever miss one of those opportunities? You, it's there, it's there for the taking, and you freeze. You, you allow for fear to take over. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to share the gospel. You don't know how to present Jesus Christ in an educated way. And so what do you do? You let that opportunity slip you by. Friends, I, I understand that sharing the gospel can be a scary thing and that there are times in our life where we We don't feel confident. We don't feel competent. We don't have the vocabulary. We don't know our Bible well enough. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what you have is your story. You have what Christ has done for you. And you can share that story with anybody. You know it well enough to know that, hey, that's real for me. I can, I can share what Christ has done in my life at the very least. And at the very least, you can share with them about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sin. The Bible is very clear that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. No one is righteous. No, not one. There's a need for Jesus. No matter who they think they are, pretty easy to convince somebody that they've sinned. And if they've sinned, then there's a need for a Savior. There's an opportunity to share truth. And Abraham was a man that was faced with opposition. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah, these were not men that loved the Lord. They were evil. And Melchizedek is here, and he shares with him, hey, there's a, there's a name to the God that you lead, that you worship, that you serve. And sometimes, friends, it's our responsibility to speak truth into people's lives. To make a statement, not just by our words, but by our actions. I was re listening to a, a guy who does research, uh, and he says that, that he did a nine-year study on, on people that were considered nuns, people that believe in nothing. They're called nuns. And there's three different groups of nuns. There are people that believe it, that are atheists, who don't believe in God at all. There are agnostics who don't believe that there is or there, there, there is or isn't a God. And then there are those who believe in nothing at all. And he said, he goes, the, the agnostics, there's about a, over nine years, there's about 1% of those people that we studied that made a profession of faith in nine years. The atheists, he goes, there's less than 1%. He goes, but the, the the, the 
the people that believe in nothing at all, 15% of those people made a profession of faith in nine years. He goes, so if you think about it, he goes, if you're going to be evangelistic and you're going to have like a strategy with sharing the gospel with people, out of those three groups, which one would you share the gospel with? The agnostics, 1%. Atheists, less than 1%. Or the nothing at all, 15%. I mean, if you're an opportunist, take the 15%, right? And, and there, are, there are people that are believing nothing at all all around us, right? And you may not be able to win an argument with an atheist or an agnostic, but somebody that believes in nothing at all, that's something that maybe you can have a conversation with. And friends, there are people all around us that believe in nothing at all. They have no hope. They have no eternal future. And I believe are de- desiring and de- to have a conversation about Jesus Christ. They want hope. They want truth. They want you to make a statement about what you believe in. I pray that you will. I pray that when you're given the opportunity you will make a statement about what you believe in. Lord, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us. I thank you for your love and kindness and generosity. Lord, um, there are people all around us that are living a life that have no hope, no future, no knowledge of Jesus Christ, no knowledge of what you've done for them. And Father, I pray that when given the opportunity, we would be bold and that we'd be willing to make a statement about what you've done for not only for us, but what you could do for them as well. Lord Jesus, I pray that if someone here today has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear a word from you during this time of invitation. As you speak to us, As you move, would you give us the grace that we need to respond in obedience? Lord Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.